Okay, we're beginning here on Yudbet and Aleph, three lines down in the wide lines with the two dots. Tomorrow is going to continue to darshan the psukim in the first parak and then into the second parak on today's daf. And here the Gemara is speaking about Chel Paras Umadaya Partimim, which is in the third pasuk in the first parak it says, The third year of his reign he made a feast, a banquet for all of his princes and servants. Chel Paras Umadai, the power of Persia and Media, Apartamim, the nobles, Visarea Midinot Lefanav, and the princes of the nations or provinces were before him. Here the Gemara asks about the order of the Pasuk. Here it says, Chel Paras Umadai Apartamim. It puts Paras before Madai. Uchtiv, but in other places we have the Machay Madai Paras. For the Kings of Madai Paras, there Madai comes before Paras. So which one is it? Why is it in certain places Paras comes before Madai? In the other places Madai goes before Paras. Samarava. They have a power sharing agreement between them. If the king is from us, then the governors will be from you. Or if the king is from amongst you, Minan Iparche, then the governors will be for us. So they sh- had a power sharing agreement where the king came from one, either Paras or Madai, and then the governors that sat below that would come from the other nation, and that way he would keep a balance of power between Paras and Madai. Now, in Pasuk Dalit, it continues that Baharato et Osher Kavod Malchuto vet Yikariti Dulato. He throws this banquet in order to show the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty. Okay, here the Gemara wants to know what does that mean? Barot Osher Kvod Machuto Amar Biosi Barchanina Malamech Lavash Bigdei Kihuna that he put on the Bigadim of the Kihuna and probably not just the Kihuna but of the Kihuna Gedolah it says here, Ikar Tiferet Gedulato, the reference to the honor of His Excellence, His Majesty, Yuchtivotam, and it says there, by the big day Kuna, the Chavod Ulitifaret. The Chavod Ulitifaret, so here, the Gemara draws a parallel between them, saying that the Chavod and Tifaret that He's showing off over here are the big day Kuna, or the big day Kuna Gedola. Ovimilot Hayamim Ha'ele. After the completion of these days, So after the completion of the first banquet or party, then there was an additional banquet that was seven, day long, seven days long for the people of Shushan. From anybody who lived in Shushan, a banquet that lasts for seven days, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So here the Gemara says, of Rabu Shmuel, Machloket Rav and Shmuel, Chadamar Melech Pikeach Hayad, that he was a wise king. Chadamar Melech Tipeshaya, that he was a foolish king. Mandamar Melech Pikeach the one who says that he was a wise king, Shapir Avad, he made a good decision. Dekariv Rechika Beresha. First he dealt with the peoples that were far away from him. Dibnei Mate, people of his city, meaning of Shushan, coming to buy me Baistahu. Any time he can take care of them. So here he has the audience of the people from far away. 
So he should take care of them first. Then, once that's finished, he can take care of the people in his locale because he could do anything, or anytime he can do that with the people of his locale. So he took care of the more difficult people to gather. And then he took care of Shushan, which were the local people. The one who said he was foolish, he should have taken care of those that were close to him in the first place, meaning the people in Shushan. Because if the remainder of the kingdom rebels against him, those in Shushan would remain loyal to him. So he should take care of those that are loyal to him, those that would be supportive of him, the people that are close by, and first establish or ensure that they are on board, and then afterwards reach out to those further away because you need the people who are closest to you to support you in order to take on any rebellions or anyone who questions your authority. Shalul Tamidav et Rashbi the Talmidim of Rashbi asked him, Why did the enemies of Israel in that generation, why were they deserving of annihilation? And here, Sonem Shel Israel again is Lashon Sagi Nehor, really refers to the Jews themselves. He says back to the students, Why don't you make a suggestion? Because they benefited from eating at the Suda of Achashverosh. This is a reason that most people know for the why the Jews of that generation were going to be punished. But Rabbi Shimba Yochai rejects this answer offhanded. He says, That was the case, then the only people that should be held accountable were those Jews that were in Shushan, those that celebrated or attended the banquet. But the rest of the Jews around the world, why should they be held culpable for that? They weren't involved in this infraction. So the students say to Rabbi Shimba Yochai, Why don't you say what you think the reason is? They bow down to an idol. Is there favoritism here? Well, if they bow down to the idol, then they are deserving of annihilation. Why did Hashem save them in the end? It makes no sense. It was midah, They only did it to save face. So too, Akarish Baruch only did it to scare them, but not actually to annihilate them. And that's what it's meant in Echa, when it says, Hashem does not willingly cause oppression, or meaning that Hashem only brings bad or evil upon those that are deserving of it. Hashem doesn't make things up. Hashem doesn't make it more difficult than it needs to be. And since they acted a certain way, Hashem reacted in that same manner. Now, as far as what it means that they did it lifanim, that they pretended to worship the Tzalem, over here Rashi says, what does that mean? Out of fear. So Rashi claims that they worshiped the idol, sounding like they actually worshipped Avodah Zarah, but they didn't do it because they wanted to accept the Avodah Zarah as a god, but rather because they feared for their lives. And since they feared for their lives, they bowed down to the Tzalem, even though they shouldn't have done that, and even though they weren't accepting it as Avodah Zarah. This is akin to a Gemara that we find in Sanhedrin, there in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, on Daf Samachalef Amud Bet, there's a machloket between Abaye and Rovel. 
Someone worships out of love or fear. It's as if he worshipped idols. Rav Amar says that you are not held culpable. Rav Amar says you have because you worshipped it. Rav Amar Patur, if he accepted it as a god, then fine. If he didn't, he didn't. And here it's clear that his intent is not to accept it as a god. He's doing it out of fear, out of love, not out of a wish to worship this idol. So you see that Rova's opinion over there is that those that worship out of fear are held culpable, but only to a certain point. I mean, that Rova says they're patur, they're not considered to be so Hashem punished them by midah k'negi midah. They worshipped mi'ira. Outwardly, it looks like they're worshipping the idol, but we know that the way they felt was that they didn't believe it was really a god. So Hashem did the same thing to them. He brought them to the edge of annihilation, as if there's a mirage of a genocide that's about to happen. And then he takes it away. He removed it the same way. Midah k'negi midah. That's the way Rashi explains it over here. If you look in the Tosafot in Avodah Zarah, it's also found in the Gemara Psachim. Over there, Tosafot asks the same questions in the Gemara Psachim with regards to Hanania, Mishal, Azariah, that over there they make a Kavachomer from the Tzvardeim to give up their lives by the Tzelem, by the idol or the Andarta of Nebuchadnezzar. And there, Tosafot in Avodah Zarah, Dav Gimon Aleph, in Shloish Avodah Tzelem, says, Omer Rabbeinu Tam, the idol of Nebuchadnezzar was not worshipping of idols. It's not a Vodazarah. It's just a monument. That was done to honor the king. And now it makes a lot of sense. That when they didn't bow down, that we have found in the Gemara two bold. Imalei nagdulu Hananiah Mishal Vazariah. Had they whipped Hananiah Mishal Vazariah, pachul etzalma. They would definitely worship this idol. I mean, we know that they refused to worship the idol, and then Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the Kibshanaish. But the Gemara there suggests that had they been whipped, had they had gotten malkot, they would have acquiesced. The ilu hayav odat kochavim amash. It was really about Zariah. Chas v'shalom. How could they do that? Just because they're afraid of some pain, they wouldn't bow down to a tzelem. In the Gemara of Zerah describes his terrible death, that they burnt him at the stake. And they put wet claws on his heart to sustain the life and the pain. So here you understand that we have, you know, the great Tanaim were able to withstand such torture in order not to worship Avodah Zarah. So certainly, Hananiah Mishal of Zariah would be able to handle it. So he says, obviously they're not going to bow down to Avodah Zarah. It means that they were going to bow down to the endart of the king. It says, This is what's meant in the Gemara Sachim and Daphne Gimel. Why did they give up their lives to be thrown into the furnace? They should have bowed down. Why didn't they bow down? Since it really wasn't a Buddha Zarah.
Ba'od Raya Mi Perakama De Megillah. And there's another proof from the first Perak Megillah, the Gemara that we just read. Because they bow down to the idol. They only did it as a pretense. They didn't really worship it. It wasn't real about a Zara. They would have a requirement of you. They would have to be Mekadeshim Shemayim. And the Pulsuk sounds like this as well. We don't worship your God. And to your idol, we do not bow down, making them sound like they are two different things. So the way Tosafot learns over here is that the bowing down to the idol here was not worshiping about a Zarah, but rather it was to grant honor, kavod to the king. So even though it looked like a Bodhizara, and then it wasn't a Bodhizara because it was only there for the cover of the king. So there, here again, there is what we call Lifanim, that they'll bow down to the Tzalem, not as a Bodhizara, but as an honor to the king, but because it looks bad, it doesn't look like they are worshipping Hashem, but rather worshipping a Bodhizara, so too Hashem took them to the edge, made them feel like they were going to be annihilated, and then it took it away. Hananya Mishal Bazaria refused to bow down, because they make, they think people are going to learn from them. They don't think it looks right. Even though it was only for the covenant of Melech, it looks like you worship the Avodah Zarah, and therefore they refuse to worship the Avodah Zarah. So according to Tosafot, the Lefanim over here means that they were not worshiping Avodah Zarah. Not about Yira or Ava, it wasn't Avodah Zarah. It was just an endart to the king. But still, they might have been required to give up their lives in a sense, or refuse to bow down to it, because it looked like Avodah Zarah. And Hananiah, Mishav, Azariah actually take that position. But in the end, they didn't worship at Zarah. On the other hand, Rashi believes that they worshipped at Zarah, but they didn't really accept it as a Zarah. They worshipped it, Mitochira, like the Gemara in Sanhedrin. There you have a Machloket, Rashi, and Tosafot, how to explain the flow of this Gemara. Uh, the question here, they're being punished in the time of Cheshverosh for a infraction in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. So it doesn't necessarily relate to Shushan then, it relates to the entire kingdom where people were close, probably obviously the people who were closer to Buchanetzar would be the ones who were maybe more involved in it. But it's, then it's not necessarily related specifically to Shushan. Um, it's basically what I'd call concentrated agarato. We have agarato throughout Shas. And if you compile the agarato, which is what someone like the Torah Tamima did, then there are, there's a Gadot about every, almost every Pasuk in the Torah. Or there is a Mamar Chazal, whether it's Halachic or Gadot, about almost every Pasuk in the Torah. And many Psukim in Nach. But it's just dispersed throughout Shas. Over here, what you have is basically a concentrated Gadot, because you have a Mesechet Megillah, that's specifically dealing with the Megillah itself. And so because of that, you have all of the Gadot centered in one place, and you get all the Limudim together. I think that's why it might feel different than generally when we have these agadic statements which are embedded in different places throughout Shas, which cumulatively probably have the same effect of being darshan, not as extreme, of course, but there are many psukim that are darshan through that. But and if you bring them together, if you amalgamate them, then you would have something like this, a nice long agadato, but they are spread out or dispersed. Over here you have the Mesecha Megillah with Megillah to stare together, so here you have a very concentrated agadato. In addition, I think that because it's a later safer in the canon, 
So that left it to more interpretation because there's probably less misora about the interpretation because of the lateness of its inclusion within the canon. Alright, so then it says, ginat bitana melech. That's how that pasuk ended off, which is in the court of the garden of the king's palace. You have three locations. You have the chatzar, which is the courtyard, the gina, the garden, and bitan, which is the palace itself. So Rabbi Shmuel, the ones who were appropriate for the courtyard went to the courtyard. Those who were appropriate for the garden went to the gina. Those who were appropriate for the palace, the bitan. I mean, there was a hierarchy here in where you were allowed to go in the party. He attempted to place them in the courtyard. There wasn't sufficient room. I tried to put them in the garden. There wasn't sufficient room. Until he brought them into the palace itself. And then there was sufficient room to keep everybody. In a bright we have it. That he put them in the courtyard. It had two doorways in that chatzer, echad the gina, one to go out to the garden, echad the bitan, and one to go into the palace. And that explains the bechatzer ginat bitan hamelech. Then the next pasuk describes the ornaments and the decorations of the palace. It says there, chur, karpas, utechelet, achuz bechavle boots, vargaman aglile gesef, Again, here the Gemara is going to go through each piece of this, which is Chor Karpas U Techelet. The only one that's clear here is Techelet, which is blue, blue wool. But what about the other items that are mentioned here? Chor Karpas U Techelet. My Chor. What is Chor? Rav Amar Chari Chari. Rav says it means holes, lots of holes. So either it means like a tapestry, or it means lace, like a lace work or a netted type of work. Shmulamar milat levana. It is white wool or white silk from the word chur, from the word chivar. Chivar, which means white. Hitzia lahem karpas. He spread out for them the korpas. So now Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yossi Chanina. What does that mean? Karim shel pasim. These are pillows of Pasim, which means wool or silk here, the Pasim. Al glilei kesef vemudeshesh mitot zahav v'chesef. So these were these white, green and blue hangings that were fastened with cords of fine linen, bargaman and purple. Al glilei kesef, to silver rings, vemudeshesh, and pillars of marble. And then the beds were made out of zahav v'chesef, gold and silver, aritzpat, on a pavement that was made of bahat v'sheish, which is sheish, we know, is marble, and bahat is alabaster. So now the Gemara says, agli v'chesef, mudeh sheish, mitot zahav v'chesef, tanya, rabiu domer, harui v'chesef, v'chesef. Those that it was appropriate to put on the silver beds, they got silver beds. Now beds here are not sleeping beds, these are the beds upon which they ate. Harui the zahav, the one that was appropriate to be on the golden beds, Lezahav got a golden bed or couch in order onto which he ate. So Amalah Rabbi Nechemi, if that's the case, You're going to cause jealousy amongst the participants, which isn't a good idea. The beds were made out, or the couches were made out of silver, and their feet were made out of gold. It's interesting here that Rabbi Nechemi here worries about this matil kina, 
but he didn't raise the issue before with regards to the different locations and where they were. So Tosafot says there's a difference. If you were found in the different locations, one of the, par- the parties didn't see each other. If they don't see each other, they're not jealous. But over here, where they're all in the same room and some of them are silver, some of them are gold, that could precipitate some form of jealousy because some have the better or the higher beds, which were made out of gold, versus the silver ones. Bahat Vashesh, alabaster and marble. Amr Abiyasi, Avanim Shemit Chotutot Al-Balehen. Here you have different interpretations. Some say that it is mitchotot means they shine upon their owners. Other Rashi suggests that mitchotot means that they clawed at or they grabbed for, which is these are precious stones which are difficult to acquire, and therefore the owners had to scrape and scratch in order to get these precious stones, which are very difficult to find. And similarly, it says. So again, the Pashtuna Pasuk is that these are the jewels of the crown that are shining, which would play into what we said before, means that they shine on their owners. So it's over here, the jewels of the crown are shining over his land. So then, according to Rashi on the hand, comes from the word which means that they move around, that they have to travel long distances. They have to travel and search until they find them, over the whole land. So Rashi says that's that the precious stones that require a tremendous investment by their owners in order to get them. And then the Pasuk ends with Vidar Visocharet. Dar is mother of pearl, and Socharet are precious stones. Rav Amar, what's dar? Dari, dari. Means that there were rows upon rows of them. Shmuel Amar, even tova yesh There's this beautiful precious stone that is found out on the ocean, on the seas. V'dara shema, it's called dara. Hoshiva b'emtza suda, he placed it in the middle of the meal. Umeira lehem, ketzoraim. And it lights up for them like the middle of the day. Ve'i Rav Yishmael Tana, shikara dror l'chobalei schora that he gave a tax holiday to all of the merchants. So they're all playing here on this word, vidar visocharet. So what did these mean? So the last interpretation is dar means drawer, freedom. Visocharet means from transacting or merchants. So there was a tax holiday for the merchants. Shmuel says that it comes from dara, which is the name of this precious stone. And the original Statement from Rav is that it's dari dari. It means that in rows and rows, upon rows, you have this. Now, the Gemara continues with the subsequent puzzle in describing the utensils that are used there. It says, And they were given to drink in utensils of gold. And each one of the utensils was different from the other. And there was plenty of wine, wine in abundance, like the will of the king, or in the abilities of the king, which means that it was endless. So now the Gemara says about Lashkot, indicates that each utensil was different from the other. So the Gemara says it shouldn't say Shonim, but rather Mishunim Ibaile. That these Kelim, Kelim, Mishunim, that they were different from each other. Why does it say Shonim? A heavenly voice comes out and says, 
Rishonim kalu mipnei kelim. The first ones were wiped out because they took out my kelim. Batem shonim v'shotim bahem. You're going to repeat that offense and use them to drink. So this refers to the clay beta migdash. That's why we read that pasuk v'kelim mikelim shonim in the tune of Eicha. Because that references the clay ham migdash that were taken in exile to Bavel. We know from yesterday's Gemara that Belshazzar already tried this. He tried to use the clay Beit HaMikdash and he died on that night. So now, Achashverosh, they're saying to him, Shonim, you're going to do this again? You're attempting to repeat the offense of Belshazzar? Then, V'yein Machut Rav, and then the wine was plentiful in abundance. Amarav, that everybody got wine that was aged to a greater extent than their chronological age. So it was aged longer than they had been alive. The wine basically was older than them. And the drinking was according to the ways, the laws. And then the puzzle continues, that there was no compelling anybody to drink. So now what does it mean, my what does it mean according to the laws? Like the way that Torah prescribes drinking wine. First you eat more, than the drinking. So too, the eating exceeded the drinking. Nobody was compelled. That they gave him to drink from wine from his country or from his province. They brought him local wine. So he wasn't forced to drink something that he wasn't familiar with or wasn't comfortable with. And then the Pasuk finishes off. He commands the those that are in charge to do uh, the will of each individual. And so the Gemara says here, what does it mean? It's to do according to the will of Mordechai and Amman. Mordechai Dichtiv, how do we know Mordechai is referred to as an Ish? Because it says Ish Yudi. Haman Ish Tsar Veoyev. So since both of them are called Ish, then over here it says Lasson Kirtzon Ish Veish, according to the will of the two Ishim. One Ish is Mordechai and the one Ish is Haman. As Rashi says, they were the Tsar Hamashkim, Bemishteh. Mordechai and Haman were both the butlers of this feast, of this celebration. Although you could read it, I think, allegorically, which is that Achashverosh here wants to do la sotkirtzon ish vaish. Achashverosh wants to, quote-unquote, please everybody. And he wants to have everybody like him and be on his side. So he tries to do kirtzon ish vaish. He tries to do like the will of Haman. And he tries to do like the will of Mordechai. The problem is now that they come into a clash. And once they come into a clash, he's no longer be able to do kirtzon ish vaish. But his way of dealing with people was Kirtzon Ish Vaish, but that's going to land him in a bad position. That's the story of the Megillah, that the tension between Mordechai and Haman. Right now the next puzzle continues. Gam Malka, Asata Nashim. She makes a feast or banquet for the women. Beta In the palace, which belongs to Achashverosh. So the Gemara says over here, wait a minute. What's going on over here? Beta Nashimi Baile. Why is she making the woman women's party in the king's palace? It should be in the women's section of the palace. So Amirava Shnehem Ladvar Avera Nitkavnu. They both had a 
similar thought, and they both were prutzim. This is what people say. The man is with the big gourds or pumpkins, and his wife is with the small gourds or pumpkins. That means that they have a similar idea or of similar ilk. As Rashi says here, that they want to participate in this pritsuta, and they both are noafim, and they both are adulterers or adulteresses, and so they're all made of the same, or cut of the same cloth. So, Bayom Ashvi'i, next pasuk, which is on the seventh day, Ketov Leve Melech Bayayin, when the king's heart was merry with wine. So now, Gemara says, Bayom Ashvi'i, Ketov Leve Melech Bayayin, Atu Ad Hashtalo Tov Lebei Bechamro, takes him seven days before he's merry with the wine, Till now he wasn't happy. Seems like he was doing pretty well till then. So Merova, Yom HaShvi'i doesn't mean the seventh day, but rather Yom HaShvi'i. The seventh day, which is Shabbat Hayah. This, the day that we're speaking right here was on Shabbat. Shisrael Uchlim Vishotim. That when B'nai Yisrael eat and drink on that day, Matchilim B'divrei Torah, B'divrei Tishpachot. They begin with giving a Dvar Torah and singing the praises of Hashem. When they eat and drink, they end up talking about meaningless items. The Suda of that Rasha Vachashvirosh was no different. There was a group of individuals who were saying that the median women are the most beautiful. And the others said, no, it's the Persian women that are most beautiful note. My beauty, and oh lo madai, she's not a median, velo parsi, she's not Persian, ella kazdi, she's from kazdi or from bavel, but sonchemli rota, if you want to see her. Now this is based on the Midrash Chazal, that Bashti is the daughter of Belshazzar, so she's the great granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, and she is descended from bavel. So that's why he's saying that she's a kazdai. And now he says, would you like to see this beautiful woman that I have? Amrloin? They said, yes. As long as she comes out naked. Because in the way that a person conducts themselves, that's the way Hashem conducts himself towards them. What did Vashti Harisha do? She used to bring the young girls of Israel. And stripped them down naked, and forced them to work on Shabbat. That's what it's meant later on when it says in the Megillah, after all this time when the anger of the king subsides, he remembers Vashti, what she did, and the decree that was placed on her. Just like she did, so too was the decree that was placed on her. The decree reflected her behavior. She mistreated these women, so therefore she is now mistreated as a woman. She did it on Shabbat, and she made them strip down. So to over here, on Shabbat, they're going to make her strip down in public. Vashti, the queen, refuses to play ball here. Wait a minute, didn't you say above? That Pritzata Havai, she was also a parutz. That she and, and the Chashverosh were both of the same kind, cut of the same cloth, had the same idea. So why wouldn't she come out naked? She was more than happy to show herself off 
just like Chavesh Veros wanted to show her off. So Damamar, Shnehem, the Dvar Viranit Kabnu, because that's what we said before, they both had the same intent. So my time Aloatai, so why did she refuse to appear before Chavesh Veros? That she burst out in leprosy. In a bright we have, Bagavriel Vasala Zanav. Gabriel comes along and makes her a tail. As quoted here in Rashi, the fact that he does quote it from Yushalmi probably makes it that it isn't Rashi. But it says here in the Rashi, Yushalmi, they learn it out, that which was decreed for her. And it talks about the guards to the Tzorat of Uziyahu. It says, Again, they use this decree. That decree that is mentioned here and the decree that's mentioned there, Malahan Sarat, Afkan Sarat. Just like over there, it was talking about leprosy, so to over here. Now, I'll just mention here in passing, the Gemara is more in depth than other places where they talk about the punishment of Sarat. But the way that I'd like to describe the punishment of Sarat is that Sarat is for people who overstep their bounds. People who step out into a place where they shouldn't be. And that's what happens to Uziyahu Melech. Uziyahu Melech is punished with Sarat because he tries to usurp the Kuhunak Dola when he's the king. So when he oversteps his bounds, he gets Sarat, which causes you to be Badad Yeshev Mechutz Now you have to sit alone outside of the camp, meaning that you attempted to overstep your bounds and to make yourself greater or to gain. In the end, you end up losing because you end up getting Sarat and then you have to be Yoshev Badad Mechutz You have to sit alone outside of the Machanet. So, so too over here, Vashti is, in a sense, overstepping her bounds. She's refusing the commands of the king. She thinks that she can run the show. And therefore, you have a problem here. And that's what we're going to see in a second, what exactly transpired between her and the Hashvirosh. And then I'll come back and give a little more explanation here. It says then, He gets very angry, and the anger burned inside of him. I might dalka equally high. What bothered him so much that she would refuse to show up? Amrova, it wasn't just the fact that she refused to show up. Shalchale, she sent him a little message. Bar Ahur Yare, you little stable boy who worked for my father. You were my father's stable boy. Abo the Kabel Alpha Hamra. My father, when he drank in front of thousands, he drank and didn't become drunk. Here you take a couple of sips of wine, miyad, uh, wine, and you're completely drunk and you're making these crazy requests. Miyad, well, when he heard that little note to come over, then the anger was kindled inside of him. He was fired up about this because she's basically poking at him. Now I think this, I'm just put the circle around and put this together, which is that the request that is made of Vashti by Achashverosh is, Laviyat Vashti HaMakal Lefiyam Melech Beketer Malchut. That they should bring Vashti HaMakal before the king Beketer Malchut, with the crown. Now, the Midrash Chazal, and it seems to be here, borne out here as well in the Gemara, is Beketer Malchut means, that's it. Just to bring her in with the crown, with nothing else besides the crown. Now, what's the meaning of that Midrash? The meaning of that Midrash is that Vashti, for Achashverosh, only serves one purpose. The purpose that Vashti serves is that she is the daughter of Belshazzar. So his ability to ascend the throne and to become part of the royalty is because he married Vashti, who is of the lineage of royalty. 
That's what it means. Nothing besides the crown, because that's all she is to him. It's just the crown. So then, what does that mean? That she refuses to come? When she refuses to come, you see what the Gemara says, what she says back to him. She basically tells him exactly that. You want me to come just with the crown? You know, you think you run the show here, and the only thing that's important is my crown? Let me just tell you something, that you're right. You are just a little stable boy of my father. You don't deserve to be here. I'm the one who got us to the throne. I am the one who is the lineage of royalty and not you. And that's what gets Achashverosh all worked up. So then the, the king asks or takes counsel with the wise men. That know the times. Because that was the way the king took counsel before all those that know the laws and the judgment, I meaning he takes from the wise people. So now, who are the Who are the man chachamim? Who are these chachamim? Rabbonon. They are the Rabbonon. What does it mean they know the times? They know how to intercalate the calendar to make leap years to set up the months, meaning that they are bikiim in the calendar. So he says to the chachamim, can you guys decide what should be the sentence or what should be the outcome of Vashti's behavior? They say, we're in a catch-22 now. Let us say to him, kill her. Tomorrow he's going to be sober. And then he'll remember her. And he's going to say to us, where is she? So now, what's the other option? We're going to say, let her be. She's denigrating the king. She acted out of line. She acted out of line. we got to do something. So now they're in a catch-22. They don't know what to do. They can't do nothing, but they also don't want to be the ones involved in causing her to be executed. So they come up with this answer. In the time of the Churban Abayit, we've been exiled from our land. We've lost our counsel. We've lost our wisdom. We no longer had to do, know how to do or take care of capital cases. Go to Amon Moav. The Yatve B'Tuchtayu. That they are still in their original locations. Like wine that is sitting on its own sediment. And what they said makes a lot of sense. Because it's an open pasuk. And hear me out. From his youth, Moav was at ease. And it is settled on its lees, on its sediment. And this wine was not poured from barrel to barrel, utensil to utensil. And he wasn't exiled in any way. Therefore, his taste was preserved. And his scent did not change. It was not spoiled. That's basically, since Amon and Moab were in their original location, and they are eased, at ease and settled, they can adjudicate these types of cases, as opposed to us who have been thrown around and moved around all this way. Tosva raises a serious issue based on the Gemara in Brachot that says that when it comes to an Ammoni, we have a drasha that a person is not, amount, not allowed to marry an Ammoni, but they are allowed to marry an Ammonit. Then there's a case of a Ger Ammoni in the Gemara in Brachot, and the Gemara says it's fine because Sancherev Bilbelet Kolomot. 
someone who's from Amon or comes from the place of Amon is not really an Ammonite because Selcher mixed up all the nations. He was Gole all the nation. Well, if that's the case, how come the Gemara over here says that Amon and Moab are in their original location? They never went into Galut. So therefore, Tosafot concludes that you have to differentiate here between Amon and Moab. And therefore, he says, What's mentioned over here is Moab. He says, Moab is someone who stayed stationary, did not move from their location. On the other hand, in the Gemara in Brachot, it's talking about Amon. And with regards to Amon, there it's an Cherv Bilbel at Kolu Umot. So that's how the Rabbeinu Tam solves the problem and says that the Gemara there is only talking about Amon. The Gemara over here is talking about Moab. So Miyad, then right away, what's the next Pasuk? It says about Achashverosh, Rakorov Elav, those that were close to him, Karshana, Shetar, Admata, Tashish, Meres, Marsana, Mimuchan, Shivat, Sarei, Parasumadai, the seven princes of Parasumadai, Ro'ei Pnei Amelech, the ones who see the king, meaning that they are present with the king, they sit first in the kingdom, they are the step below the king, they are the rulers or the council of the king. So he goes to these individuals, and he asks them what to do with Vashti. That says, Amar Levi, kol pasuk shum korbanot ne'emar. This pasuk is only said about the karmanot. So what does that mean? Karshina. Amru malachei asherei lifnei ha-kodesh baruchu. Be'onu shalom. Klum ikrivu lifnecha karim b'nei shana. Karshina is a play on karim b'nei shana. Lambs that are one-year-old. Kederach shikrivu yisrael lifnecha. The way the Jews do this. Shetar. Klum ikrivu lifnecha shtei torim. Do these people bring before you the two birds, the two bird offerings? Like Pnei Shodu. Admoto klum banu lefanecha mizbeach adama. Admoto, did they ever build a mizbeach adama like you wished before you? Tashish klum shimshu lefanecha bebigdei kuhuna. Did they ever serve before you in the big day kuhuna? Dichtiv behu. It said about the big day kuhuna. Tashish v'shoam v'yashpet. Those are the stones of the Choshen. So they're similar to Tashish that we're mentioning over here. Meres, Klumir Subadam Lefenecha, did they ever mix the blood in front of you in order to prevent it from coagulating, like we saw in the Gemara in Yuma, Mimeres, that he stands there and he mixes the blood. Bibig Dekuna, in their clothing as a coin. I'm sorry. Marsana, Klumir Subimanachot Lefenecha, did they ever mix the meal offerings before you? Did they ever prepare the table, meaning probably the bread, the lechem apanim, before you? So here, it's the names of these individuals are referencing the korbanot to show their distinction from Kalal Yisrael and to say to Hashem, why are you annihilating the Jews if, look, these are the practice of the Jews and these individuals are not emulating what the Jews did. Vayomer Mimunachan, Mimunachan is the last of them, Tana Mumuchan Zehaman. So there's some that say that Mumuchan is synonymous with Haman. But how many Krashmo Mumuchan? Why do they call his name Mumuchan? Shemuchan the Pronut. Because he was on a destiny to be destroyed or to end up being pressured or evil happened to him. Amar Avgana Mikan Shehejot Kofetz Barosh. That's from this we see the common practice that the Less, or the lesser of, of all those that are there, jumps in front to speak. 
because he doesn't think he's going to get his word in. So over here, you have the seven Sarim, Mimuchan, who's the last of the seven, yet in the subsequent Pasuk, it says, Vayomer Mimuchan, He's the one who gives the advice, and the first one to jump in to give the advice. That every man should be the ruler in his house. Had it not been for the first letters, then there would not be a remnant of Kalal Yisrael left over. Amre, the people who received the letters, my high. What is this letter? The Shadirlan, the old Kalish, Sarer Bibeto? He said he has a letter to tell us a decree that every man should be the ruler in his house? Pshita! What do you mean? What's the question? Even the weaver, which seems to be of a lowly profession, when he gets home, he's the ruler. He runs the show. And it seems to be that times have changed. And this is no longer taken for granted, but in the time of Achashverosh, it was taken for granted that every man was a king in his house. Then it says, the king then appoints the officers to go out and carry out the advice of Mimuchan, which is after he disposes of Vashti, they go out and they set up a pageant in order to find the new king, the new queen. Now, what's interesting here, and you noted that the Megillah never tells us what happens to Vashti. The only thing we know is that in the subsequent parak. When you, when it finishes off, like the Chachamim suggested, when after Achashverosh is more sober, and then he says, That was, which was decreed upon her. Now, Megillah never tells you what was decreed upon her. But whatever the decree was, Achashverosh feels that he can't reverse it. So either it was irreversible, because they killed her, or whatever they did with her in order to demonstrate the idea of Kolish Sorer Bebeto, her de- being deposed could not be reversed at this point in time because it wouldn't have looked good. But again, the Megillah does not give you what happened to her, although you might assume from the way that the Megillah sounds is that she was removed or executed based on the story that Akashverosh can't repeal whatever happened. So then they go out to run a pageant in order to find a new queen for the king. What's meant by the pasuk in Mishlei? A prudent individual does things with knowledge. Uchsil and the fool Ifros Ivelet will lay bare his folly. So what does that mean? Kolarum What does that mean that any person who is Prudent will do or plan appropriately. Zedavid Amelech. This refers to the David Amelech Tichtiv because it says in the pasuk, Abadav. His servant said to him, "This is David at the end of his life when he's cold." Let us go find a Narab Tula that would be the woman to minister to David and to keep him warm. So command Avale Brato. Anybody with a daughter, Aita Nialei. They brought him through. They brought it voluntarily forward. Because, number one, they knew that there would be only one of them chosen. And the one who was chosen wouldn't even necessarily be violated. And there would be only one that was chosen. Uchseli frosi velet. Whereas the fool lays bare his folly. Zechash That refers to Achash Lechtiv. Vayafkir HaMelech Pegidim. He has to set up officers. 
Because anybody who had a daughter, they used to hide their daughters from him. Why did they hide the daughters from him? Because they didn't want him to take their daughters. Because basically they're going to ha- they're going to be put into the harem of the king, and the king is going to be boil all these women and only keep one of them in the end. So who wants to be put into a pageant like that? So they also used to hide their women, and therefore the kidim, the officer, had to go out and collect. So by David Melech, where it was done appropriately and it was well thought out, there the people voluntarily want to give up their daughters. Over here, Achashverosh, who shows off his foolishness, he everybody's trying to hide their daughters from him, and they have to send out officers in order to get the women to participate. Now the Gemara continues with Pasuk Hay in the second parak, which is Ishudi Ayab Shushana Bira, Ushmor Mordechai, Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, Ish Yumini. Here the Gemara wants to understand Ish Yumini, Vizni Shimini, my Kamar. What does it mean that he's from the Shevet of Binyamin? Either Yuchusa Kaate, if it's coming to give his Yichus, mean that his family lineage, the Yachsev Lizol Ad Binyamin. Then he should give his lineage all the way back to Binyamin. What's the difference with these three? I mean, why does it say Shmor Mordechai Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish? Why are those three individuals have everybody else picked? Why don't they go straight back up the path to get back to Binyamin of Ishimini? Why are these the three ones that are picked to enumerate his lineage? says Kulano Shmoni They're actually all reflections of the character of Mordechai. Ben Yair, Ben Shehir, and Ahem Shel The one who lit up the eyes of Ben Yisrael with his tefillah. Ben Shimi, Ben Shishama El Tfilato. The one who Hashem listened to his beseechment. Ben Kish, Shikish, Asherei Rachamim. That he was knocking or banging on the gates of mercy. And God opened them up and he saved the Jews. So they say here that this is not really his lineage, but rather more descriptions of the character of Mordechai. Kari Yehudi says in the Pasuk, Ish Yehudi, Amwem Ka'ati, comes from the Shevet Yehuda. Kari Yemini, but it says it's Ish Yemini, Amwem Binyamin Ka'ati, sounds like it comes from Shevet Binyamin. So Amr Rav Nachman, no problem. Mordechai Muhtar Bini Musohaya. Mordechai was of a distinguished character, that's one way to read it, Nimus, in the Gemara means character, character traits. So Mukhtar means crowned in character. So it means that he was given these titles. And Ishudi is a title of distinguishment. It's not the mean that you came from Shevet Yehuda. That's one possibility. Rashi says, Benimuso comes from the Greek word, Nimus. And if you look at it carefully, it might be from the word names. That Mukhtar Benimusoya, he was covered in names. That he had descriptions that were given to him that did not necessarily reflect his true lineage. But because of his stature, because of his nature, he was given these titles. So, Amr ben Levi, Avivim I have a different solution, which is, that his father was from Binyamin, his mother was from Yehuda. He was a mixed marriage between two Shvatim. Rabbanan Amrei, Mishpachot Midgarot say no, that the families were fighting over him. We caused him to be born, which we'll see why in a minute. The reason that Mordechai is here today is because David had mercy on Shimi Megera and did not kill him out, did not wipe him out. And Mordechai is a descendant of Shimi Ben Gera. It's only because of the mercy of David from Shevi Yehuda that Mordechai is here. 
he came from us. He is a Binyamite. So since he's a Binyaminite, there's no question about that. That's his family. Rava Amar, Knesset Israel Amrali, Idach Kisa. Rava says, no, you know what? I don't think it was positive. I think this is to the negative. See what this Yudi, someone from Shevet Yudah, did to me. And what this person from Minyamin caused to me. What does it mean? What did this person from Yudah do to me? That David didn't kill out Shemi ben Mordechai. From which the descendant Mordechai came, the Mikne Haman, who is instigating and provoking Haman. Mordechai is the cause of the problem because he's provoking Haman. And look what the person of Benjamin caused to me, the Lokadle Shaul Agag, because Shaul didn't kill off Agag, the Jalid Mine Haman, because his descendant is Haman, the Mitzar Yisrael that caused problems for Kalal Yisrael. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, he, no, he was from Benjamin. So why is he called Ish Yudi? Because he denies Avodah Zarah. Anybody who denies Avodah Zarah, Nikra Yehudi. Because it says in the Pasuk by Daniel, here is when they level the accusation against the Jewish council to the king, or those advisors to the king, and say, they don't bow down to you, their God, they don't do the things that you want them to do. And he says, These Jewish advisors or princes don't follow the rules of the other nations. But here it says, And this is a case, exact case, where they're going to deny or not going to bow down to the Avodah Zarah. So you see the title Yehudi or Yehudai is given to someone who doesn't worship Avodah Zarah. Now one thing I'll note over here, my brother-in-law pointed out, he wrote... Uh, nice article about this as well, which is that over here, you actually have the manifestation, which is Adelo Yodo. Adelo Yodo ben Baruch Mordechai Davur Haman. Over here, that's exactly what's been described here by the Amorahim. Is it Baruch Mordechai or is it Arur Mordechai? Is it Baruch Mordechai because he's the one who brings the salvation? Or is it Arur Mordechai because he's the one who instigates Haman to, or provokes Haman in order to make the decree happen? So which one is it? Is it Baruch Mordechai or is it Arur Mordechai? That's the Adelo Yodo. It's not clear. In addition to that, we have mercy being shown here by David Melech, and we have mercy being shown by Shaul Melech. Two actions that are seemingly the same. Having mercy on someone. Yet the outcome couldn't be more different. David Melech, who had mercy on Shimi ben Gera precipitates the birth of Mordechai. On the other hand, Shaul, who has mercy on Agag, precipitates the birth of Haman, the Tzorera Yehudim. So you see here the same action, and this is something that we've spoken about in the past, I've mentioned this numerous times, that in Yahadut, in the Shkofa of Yahadut, nothing is inherently bad, and nothing is inherently good. It's all about the context and the way that we utilize it. And basically, mankind can never know that. That's what it means that Adelo Yalta Ben Baruch Rahman is that many times an action that seems to us to be beautiful and nice, like Shoal having mercy on Agag, turns out to be something that is dangerous and terrible and leads to ramifications and consequences that are terrible. On the other hand, sometimes where 
someone has mercy where it seems out of place. Shimon who was cursing David Melch, and then David Melch has mercy on his enemy then and lets him live, leads to the salvation of Klai Israel through Mordechai Yehudi. So that's the idea of Adlo Yada Ben Barmurch Mordechai the Aruraman, that many times, and this is really the story of the Megillah, things that look good turn out to be bad. And things that look bad turn out to be good. Again, there's nothing inherently good or bad. Even having mercy, which seems to be good, sometimes turns out to be bad. And that is the meaning of Adaloyodo Purim, which is that we are acknowledging our limitations as human beings. We're acknowledging our inability to understand what proper morality is. And it's only through God and the tzivoy of God that we know what to do and we know how to act. Because only God knows the true ramifications or consequences of our actions. And that's where we have to get to, Adaloyodo. Adaloyodo is that we don't know whether it's Baruch Mordechai or Ur Mordechai. We don't know if it's Baruch Haman or Arur Haman. That's in the hands of Hashem. And that's the siman or the symbol that we use is that the drinking on Purim leads us to that outcome where we acknowledge our inability to discern and to know. Only a Kodesh Baruch who knows. Okay, we'll stop over here.